Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Total confession, I am not live today. We are pre-recording this show the week kind of leading into Christmas to air the day after Christmas, just because it's kind of a day off, kind of in between, sort of a little bit of a holiday time, heading to Miami. So wanted to take a day here to kind of be with my family kind of one more time before we had a chance to get away to get ready for all the uh, bowl stuff that's coming up here. We think we have a really fun show planned. And in fact, I kind of want to begin this way here for a moment. You know, I would say that in the days leading into, you know, finding out, you know, Georgia's not going to be in the college ball playoff, obviously disappointed about the loss to Alabama. We've kind of been through all of that. We understand that. And I just wasn't really quite so sure how excited about the Orange Bowl at one point in time I was, just being completely honest here. I think there's a lot of recalibration that occurs around this. And when we've kind of endured, as we talked about, there was going to be that sort of period of bad news that had to be endured of transfer portal this and blah, 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 that, and whatever happened with Dylan Riola and all that kind of strange stuff, that eventually you would kind of come out of that and eventually you'd be kind of back to the business of good things. And for a program like Georgia, most of the days are going to be mostly good news because Georgia is the kind of program that sort of mostly produces good news. Very successful program. Uh, obviously, the two-time national champions, you know, very few programs can rival Georgia's uh, recent history of success. So therefore, most of the days around here are going to be pretty good because that's just what Georgia seems to produce. For a while, that wasn't the case. But now we're kind of back to business as usual again with a lot of good things happening for UGA. And I I think a lot of anticipation about what the future can hold. And the Orange Bowl, I believe, is sort of perhaps the beginning of all of that. We're going to talk about that a little bit over the course of the uh, next couple of days. And to talk here for a moment about just the idea that just the game itself, it's not the college football playoff. It's not for a national championship, although I still believe the winner of this game should probably proclaim itself national champions, but that's probably not going to happen. I still think they should, but they're probably not going to. But it is a chance on a Saturday to watch Georgia play football against a team like Florida State, or at least a reasonable facsimile of the Seminoles, and that for me is not a bad thing. And if you were ever not quite so sure how you really felt about that, if you were ever quite not quite so sure if that was true for you, well, the announcement we got last week about Carson Beck's return to Georgia for the 2024 season and a chance to play in the Orange Bowl, I think it just kind of bolsters all of that uh, a little bit more. In fact, I want to show you the announcement that Beck made because Beck actually pointed to this game in that particular announcement. Uh, he says, and this was quoted by Georgia Football, my friends and family have helped me uh, put me in a situation to have options for my future. However, the NFL can wait one more year. I'm returning to UGA for my senior season. We need everyone's support in Miami to close this season out the right way. And I do really like the fact that in the midst of giving Georgia fans the news they really wanted, Beck used this as a way of pivoting towards this game. And yeah, let's start 2024 on the end of 2023 with the excitement of what next year can be by going out and playing our best in the Orange Bowl and having all of Dog Nation sort of rally around that, whether you plan on traveling down to Miami or not. I realize that kind of holiday travel can be expensive unless it's something you've been planning on doing. So if you're watching on TV, given the good vibes, if you're there in the stadium, sort of there to kind of celebrate and be a part of all of this, but back sort of using the Orange Bowl 
it's kind of a pivot point sort of a rallying point for everything this upcoming 2024 season can be and i listen uh, maybe i'm kind of an easy target here maybe i'm an easy mark but that sort of stuff really works on me that does get me much more excited about the game and obviously in miami you know the expectation is and admittedly you know there's probably some news that may have broken since i've recorded this show you may know more hearing this than i know now but we are in the midst of finding out who from Georgia is going to play, perhaps who from Georgia might not play. The early indication that we get, once again, you know, game week itself, actually live and in person, we'll do our first Dog Nation Daily from Miami live on Thursday. But, you know, the indication we get is is that right now there's perhaps a little bit more enthusiasm on the part of the Georgia side for players playing in this game than there perhaps is on the Florida State side. doesn't guarantee a result or an outcome from the game, but it's pretty clear that some of Florida State's best players have thus far said, no, we're opting out, we're not planning on playing in this game. Whereas guys like Carson Beck say, no, we do want to play in the game. In fact, we want to use this as kind of a jumping on point for what 2024 can be. I really like that. And Kirby Smart even alluded to that too. You know, when Smart spoke at the end of like, you know, last month or whatever, uh, or not not last month, but the uh, sort of the end of the regular season, post-SEC championship, things like that, about the, the likelihood there could be some opt-outs, he clearly acknowledged that as a possibility. But also, you know, said, hey, as far as he knows, maybe nobody opts out. Maybe this is a Georgia team that really does want to be in Miami and play in this game and take that seriously. And the indication we get here thus far, you know, perhaps that is the case that the Orange Bowl kind of becomes an opportunity to, to sort of do all that. But beyond that, I think there's something really fun to consider about Carson Beck and what the Orange Bowl game could show about him you know, moving past this 2023 season and towards a 2024 that's going to look brand new around college football. It's an expanded SEC. There are no more divisions. It's a much tougher schedule for Georgia. The actual postseason itself is much longer. It's a 12-team playoff. There's another round to navigate in order to win the national championship. But in light of all that change, as as new as all of that will be, the one thing that doesn't uh, change the one thing that's just as true as ever is that Georgia very much expects to be a part of the conversation for next year's college football playoff and next year's national championship and the Orange Bowl is a little bit of a preview of what all of that might turn out to be but I want to talk about Beck's role in this for a moment because Beck plays in this game makes you more excited about the Orange Bowl but there's one aspect one element of Carson Beck for next year that also gets me pretty excited too and it's a moment from the 2023 season that really gets me thinking about this. When I look back on moments that kind of mattered to me for this year and things that I'll remember and remember fondly that I really enjoyed, obviously around here we take very seriously the idea of being Gator hater. A good Georgia fan, we say all the time, is a Gator hater first and foremost. As a Georgia fan, we like beating up on Florida. We kind of always have. But beyond that, the Georgia-Florida game this year was interesting for me because it was Carson Beck's homecoming. It was his chance to play for the very first time in his hometown of Jacksonville, Florida. Georgia-Florida, always a big deal in Jacksonville. If you were a Jacksonville native playing that game, of course, that would probably be a big deal to you. And one of the things I oftentimes find fascinating is what athletes, coaches, you know, sports figures, what they're willing to be open and candid about and what they're willing to perhaps you know, be a little bit more guarded about. And one of the things both leading into the game and then after the game that Carson Beck was very open about was this game is a big deal to me. Playing in front of my hometown is a big deal to me. You know, some athletes might shy away from that. They might want to downplay that because if they say this is a big deal and then if they don't play well, well, it makes them look bad. It makes them look like they either tried too hard or established a goal they weren't able to meet. There's a certain 
loss of ego when you make a big deal about something to have that not quite work out the way you wanted it to. So some athletes, some coaches sort of sidestep talking about what truly matters to them. But in the case of Carson Beck, he didn't do that. He said, yes, this was a big deal to me. We had uh, other players that week of that game talking about how Carson Beck had challenged them. Hey, this game matters to me. They had said, we want to play well because this game matters to Carson Beck. And that became a little bit of a focal point. It seemed like this team wanted to play well for Carson Beck. And ultimately, that's exactly what they did. Now, that's also because they like beating up and kicking around Florida. But but nonetheless, you know, part of the motivation for that game was Carson saying, yes, this is different than a normal game for me. And so therefore, I expect all of you guys to come out here and help me win it. And in fact, after the game, and the clip I'm about to play for you, it's kind of one of these locker room style clips with like a thousand people talking at the same time. And, you know, there's some ambient sort of room noise going on. So you can't hear perfectly everything that Carson Beck says here. But after the game, once again, Carson Beck did kind of re-rack the notion that he treated this game as important he told the Georgia players this was important and when you hear this understand I'm going to explain why all of that might matter in 2024 this is Carson Beck going back to the Florida game this past fall before the game I just told the offense I was like look I've been waiting four years to play in this game um, ever since the day I got here you know, came from Florida from Jacksonville um, it's obviously a super exciting moment but it makes it even better uh, to come out here and get one once again that's not great audio quality i totally understand that but hopefully you're able to pick out what carson beck said he said i told the guys before the game meaning this wasn't something now that i'm going to say because it's happened he said i told them this before the game i've been waiting four years for this moment and so therefore i want us to go out here today and play the way i know we're capable of playing and that's exactly what georgia did now the reason why i bring all of that up right now is because if that's what Carson Beck was willing to use as an extra layer of motivation to get you ready for that Georgia-Florida game if you were a Georgia player, what's he going to be saying for the entirety of 2024? What else has he been waiting four years for? You know, He was a guy that was a backup quarterback on a couple of teams that uh you know won national championships but Carson Beck wasn't the starter for those teams Carson Beck that wasn't that wasn't his uh, his team that was kind of Stetson Bennett's team uh 2023 was Beck's first option or opportunity I should say to do all of that and while Beck himself played uh very well and had a very good season overall the end of season results not going to exactly be what Georgia wanted to be which is all the more reason unfinished business so to speak why Carson Beck is coming back in 2024 now I have a sneaking suspicion that some of the same stuff that Beck said prior to that Florida game he might be willing to say prior to this upcoming 2024 season as well which is openly honest about the fact that he didn't just come back to impress NFL draft scouts he came back to sort of satisfy that ambition of also being a national championship quarterback and also enjoying some of the success as a starter that he watched other Georgia players enjoy while Beck was still a backup and the credibility of being able to make statements like that is enhanced so much by the fact that Beck showed himself this year to be a very capable starting quarterback and will have an even greater you know mantle of leadership to kind of speak these messages from moving into 2024 i think that's a really fun thing to consider it begins on december 30th this upcoming saturday with the orange bowl georgia's showing you what it has a chance to be next year earning a spot in that kind of preseason hype conversation which around here we sort of like but also giving back the credibility to say man i didn't just come back for a season i came back for a reason I want to be here and be a part of a national championship push. And I want all of you guys playing around me to help me get there. 
that's a message the Georgia players have received pretty well from Beck in the past, and it could be a very strong motivator for this team moving into the future there as well. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Listen, we just say Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all of you, and hope you continue to enjoy a great holiday season. We appreciate you being with us here today. We are not live. We are pre-recorded, but we're having fun nonetheless across all platforms. We appreciate our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia who make it possible for us here today. Let me tell you what could have ruined your Christmas. That's foundation waterproofing issues. If somehow water creeped in where it wasn't supposed to be, or perhaps your Aunt Gertrude came over and said, what's this crack on the wall? Like that's one of those deals that when something like that happens, you deep down, you know there's probably a little bit of a sign of an issue there, but that's where our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia can step in. They can do great work for you. Plus, they're proud partners of UGA. Always fun to support those who support UGA, and they're longtime friends of ours around Dog Nation Daily here, too. You know, this time of the holiday time of year, Christmas time of year, you sort of think about family and friends and those that you kind of have a special relationship with. Well, when it comes from our standpoint on the business side of things, Engineered Solutions of Georgia is pretty clearly a company we've had a special relationship for quite some time. I trust them, and I heartily recommend them to you if you see water where it's not supposed to be, if you see cracks, sheetrock outside of the house and the brick, unsettled areas of your basement. If you see all that kind of stuff, that's a sign you need to reach out to my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia to do the work necessary to take care of you on all of that. Phone number, super easy to remember. Simply dial 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW. Engineered Solutions of Georgia, uh, proud partners of UGA, and a solution for your foundation waterproofing issues. Make sure you check them out today. Uh, entire team of engineers on staff, nobody else in our marketplace puts that kind of resource to work to help you solve your problem. That's why you want to reach out. Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Check them out today if you are in need of a solution to a foundation or a waterproofing problem. All right, we're going to get Connor Riley here coming up in just a little bit. Prior to that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. Now, luckily, we're going to get a chance to have Connor on the show both today and tomorrow. Connor was good enough last week to sit down and record a couple of interviews that we could air while we're off today and then traveling tomorrow. And so tomorrow, we're going to do a lot of the Orange Bowl stuff and sort of early thoughts, some of the Carson Beck stuff that I just did. We'll talk more to Connor about that some tomorrow. But on today's show, we're going to get a little bit more deeply into some of the stuff from the recently passed National Signing Day and the conclusion of the uh you know, kind of the early period of the uh, signing period there for Georgia. Now, full disclosure, we recorded this on a Wednesday. This was just prior to the news involving K.J. Bolden. So the Bolden stuff, we obviously talked about on Dog Nation Daily last Thursday, last Friday, and the aftermath of all of that. We're not getting into that with Connor here coming up in just a moment. By now, hopefully all has been said that needs to be said about that. But I do want to talk about the 27 guys, you know, kind of on the other side of Dylan Rylo doing what he did and on the other side of K.J. Bolden doing what he did, the 27 guys who were expected to sign with Georgia and they ultimately did do that and the work that Georgia once again put together in terms of really establishing an elite class here. And I think some of what Connor and I will do here in a little bit and some of what we'll all be doing as Georgia fans in the uh, months to come is really kind of highlighting players who perhaps been in the fold for quite some time and perhaps have not gotten the full level of attention they deserve. And when you think about those guys for Georgia, one of the things you've sort of heard me say as of late is, is that I I feel like the college football is kind of navigating, migrating a little bit more towards sort of a win now mentality that building long time, long term for the future over the period of years. I'm not, I'm not really quite so sure how capable you are of being able to do that anymore. 
just given the fact that players that don't play right away have a tendency to look around and move on. We've seen some of that already here this year for Georgia. So I think there's a heightened uh, emphasis and importance on players, you know, as a part of Georgia's 2024 class who could perhaps maybe play right away. And so highlighting a couple of these for a moment, we'll go back in time. You know, two of the biggest names that Georgia added from its 2024 class, Joseph Jonah, John Ye, Justin Williams, two outstanding teammates from Conroe, Texas. And when they both joined up at Georgia, these were big, big, massive recruiting wins. And now that they're in the fold, now that they're signed, now that they're here and going through all of the paces to get ready for the upcoming year, you know, you're once again reconsidering how valuable both these uh, prospects could turn out to be for Georgia. In fact, I want to go back to a fun thing that Jeff Sintel was able to put together. This is months ago now. It was Joseph Jonah Ajanye, the Georgia defensive line, then commit, now signee, talking about Justin Williams, what he liked about Williams, what he thought Williams could be for Georgia. So you hear me hype up these guys all the time and say what I say. How about these guys in their own words, in this case, Jonah Ajanye in particular, telling you why you ought to like Justin Williams as a part of this 2024 class. Let's go back in time and hear this again right now. Sometimes I think he's not even human, but yeah, he's a freak athlete. I see it every day. So no, I'm used to it. Their relationship is really good, you know. Um, I've learned a lot from Justin, the side of football, you know, just how to be a great person. Um, he's helped me really in my face. And overall, Justin is just a great human being to be around. He's a very fun guy, funny, off the field. But when it's on the field, it's serious, you know, game time. And that's the type of guy I like to be around. So that's a really interesting thing to hear a high school teammate of Justin Williams say, both these guys on their way to Georgia. And one of the things I listen in for as I hear that clip is we've heard Kirby Smart talk so much about the value of connection, the fact that Georgia players develop a connection with themselves that enables them to kind of deal with whatever adversity might strike at any point in time. And it's not just the adversity of playing during the season, but just the day-to-day grind of of the portion of the year January February when you're trying to build your body up and then spring practice where you're colliding with other guys and you're kind of finding out wow college football is really really hard you know all the things that go on over the course of a football calendar Kirby Smart said hey a really strong connection player to player allows you to get through that and I take that really seriously because I have grown to believe that Georgia players themselves take that really really seriously and so when you understand how important that has been from Kirby Smart's point of view when you listen to a guy like Joseph Jonah Johnye saying, I come to Georgia, one of the highest-rated recruits in this class, and I come to UGA with a ready-made connection with a guy that's also among the highest-rated players in this class, I think that can be a really good thing for Georgia, that, that Georgia is not playing fantasy football. It's not out here just sort of picking up football cards and just kind of you know taking this and that of, let me put this great player with this great player, and we'll just sort of assume they'll figure it all out. And Georgia does want, obviously, great and talented players. But Georgia also understands that there's a team chemistry aspect to all of this. There's a there's a deep connection aspect to all of this. And some players who grew up in other parts of the country, they'll perhaps form that bond once they're all on campus together. In other cases, in the case of Williams and Jonah Janye, two of the most talented players that Georgia brings in, they already come in with that bond strong as it is together. I think that's kind of nice to think what that could mean for them as they go through their first year here at UGA. I also expect on the list of guys who could be 
contributors the soonest, which is not easy for anybody, but the guys who can make the most immediate contribution, I would say Jonah, John Ye, and Williams would have to be on that list. I'd put Jaden Riddell on that list. I believe I'd put uh, Nate uh, Frazier, the running back, uh, you know, there on that list. You know, I when you start looking at, you know, obviously Ellis Robinson, the, the, the cornerback, maybe the top of that list more so than maybe anybody else. But there is a list of Georgia players, even among all the elite recruits they brought in for this class, kind of a special category of of very young and talented players these are the guys who you may hear about and see about the soonest and obviously joseph jonah johnny who you're there along with justin williams would definitely be on that list we're going to talk more about the uh, rest of this recruiting class here coming up some insight from connor riley on that but for now let's make that around the doghouse here today on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia and also before we're done on today's show we'll begin to look at what is kind of like the real bowl season sort of beginning SEC action starting to take place here uh leading towards obviously Georgia on Saturday but the rest of the SEC teams in New Year's Six Bowls the start of the SEC Bowl slate all of that leading towards a college football playoff that strangely enough Georgia's not involved with this year but we think could obviously have a chance to be back involved with again next year there as well so that's before we're done nice look at the rest of the SEC Bowl slate as it gets ready to get started but for now more on Joseph Jonah Johnye, Justin Williams, the other signees for Georgia here in this 2024 class. Let's do some of that here today with Connor Riley on Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, happy to be on this day after Christmas getting a chance to talk to Connor Riley while we Obviously, enjoy a little bit of time with family prior to going to uh, Miami in the Orange Bowl. Uh, Connor, good enough to uh, do a little pre-recorded show for us. So we're not going to pretend to be something we're not here. We're doing this the, kind of the week around National Signing Day, uh, really actually on National Signing Day, just to be completely honest with you. So we kind of know of the 27 guys that Georgia planned on signing. They've kind of gotten that done. But of anything else that might have happened after that, perhaps you know more listening to this than we do now. So we're going to do this conversation in the full awareness of that. So Connor, just to make sure everybody kind of knows where we are here right now. And I certainly appreciate your time. And I do want to talk about this signing class in particular because I'll, I'll tell you, I feel like one of the things I'm probably kind of guilty of from time to time is I'm always sort of thinking about what might be next or, you know, what new thing, what fresh thing could be going on. You're always sort of looking for those angles when you do a show like this. Perhaps we don't do enough on this show of just sort of digging deep and talking about guys who have been in the fold for a while, guys who are coming to UGA. I know we did some of this, I guess, last week when we spoke a little bit, but I'll, I'll do some more of this here right now. Of the 27 guys that Georgia did add on Wednesday that were expected to be a part of this class, you know, who do you feel like hasn't gotten maybe enough attention or just maybe even more broadly than that to start off with, who do you really like in this class here right now for UGA? I'll start first with guys that I really like. Uh, and look, I'm biased here because I did, in fact, play with his two older brothers. I'm a big Daniel Calhoun fan. I think when you look at the type of guys that have come in and played on the Georgia offensive line, I don't think Calhoun's going to come in and play as a freshman, but he fits the profile of guys that have come in and had success on that Georgia offensive line. I think he's a guy that can play either that tackle, right tackle position if you need him there, but I ultimately maybe think his best positional fit might be at right guard going forward, sort of in the mold of Tate Ratliff, just a big, nasty ball player, uh, you know, went to Walton for his senior year there, and in talking to people around that program, he made a pretty clear difference on that team. And while they came up just short in the state title game, I think with when you look at the types of offensive linemen that Georgia has had in years past, 
they're getting a real impact player there. And, and then on the defensive side of the ball, I know a lot of people are going to want to talk about Justin Williams, the five-star linebacker, number one linebacker in the country. Number one, line, the highest-rated linebacker Georgia has ever signed. But the guy I'm actually a little bit more interested in is on that defensive line with a high school teammate of Williams, yeah. and that's Joseph Jonah-Ajanye, uh, a guy that I think, you know, Georgia didn't exactly get a lot of production this year out of its freshman defensive lineman in Jordan Hall and Jamal Jarrett there. And I'm not necessarily saying Georgia expects to get a lot of production out of Joseph Ajanye, or Jonah Ajanye, excuse me. I'm going to get that mixed up so many times (laughs) during his career. Uh, I think he's a guy who, when you look at impact defensive linemen and you look at, quite frankly, a guy that Georgia didn't have this year. And again, I'm not saying Jonah Ajanye is going to be that right away from Georgia. But I think he is going to be an impact player during his time at the University of Georgia. And I do think it's pretty telling that the two two sort of guys I single to highlight there are guys on that line of scrimmage for Georgia. I think that's where the obvious strength is in this class, not just in terms of pure size, but also in terms of the individual players that they're bringing in there. And obviously you can shout out five-star cornerback Ellis Robinson, yeah. a guy that some people think might be the best player in the country. Uh, you know, Ryan Puglisi, I think, deserves his fair share of love and credit for the way he handled his recruitment and what he is stepping into at the University of Georgia. But the two guys that I'm really interested in following their careers are Daniel Calhoun and Joseph Jonah Ajanya. Well, I totally agree on Daniel Calhoun. That's a guy that I've seen plenty. And in fact, I think you and I have talked about him before. I, I just really like what he brings to the table. And I've heard great things about him, too. And obviously, uh, I, I know how, how impressed you are, you know, having connections to that family for as long as you have and then when it comes to Joseph Jonah Johnny he may be the perfect example of what I was also saying a moment ago which is that's a guy that's been in the fold for a while and so on this show what I do is I fixate on oh why didn't we hear more about George and Walter Nolan why didn't we hear more about Georgia and LT Overton why didn't we hear more about George and LJ McRae or you know Justin Scott guys like this you know and that's kind of forgetting well actually Joseph Jonah Johnny has been in the fold here for quite some time so Connor I'm curious um you know, how closely do you put the status of uh, Jonah Ajanye as a prospect in the category of guys like, you know, Scott or McRae for this class or transfer prize targets like, like Nolan or Overton? Like, how close to that level of prospect do you view Joseph Jonah Ajanye of being? I would certainly rather have Joseph Jonah Ajanye than LT Overton. I know Overton is going to Alabama and Georgia's going to see him at some point next season. Uh, you know, the gap between McRae and Jonah Ajanye, they're different types of players, but I think that the gap there is maybe closer than maybe a lot of people perceive. I think Jonah Ajanye's best football is ahead of him. There's a rawness to him uh, that I think should really excite a lot of people just in terms of the upside and what you could potentially see from him. I'm not saying he's going to come in and be Jalen Carter right away, like Jalen Carter was able to do as a freshman there. But with what you've seen Trey Scott do in terms of his ability to develop defensive linemen, especially guys in the interior, I think Jonah Ajanye fits that mold perfectly. And, and to your larger point here, you know, like Georgia picks up uh, J- uh, Jonah Ajanye, I, I believe, uh, like late June, early July. It's around the time that you and I are usually on vacation in some form or fashion there. And it's one of those things where if Jonah Ajanye announces this today, this yeah. is a massive win and we're standing on the table and, you know, the national media pundits are writing about Georgia football as one of the winners of the signing cycle. But because Georgia took care of this early and got him in the fold, not just in the summer, but so that they could also potentially go out and land Justin Williams, his five-star linebacker teammate at Oak Ridge High School down there in Conroe, Texas. Uh, the fact that they get him in early is maybe why, you know, the, ro- the some of the bloom has come off the rose with, with Jonah Ajanye there. 
But, you know, I, I look, we're going to talk a lot about Ellis Robinson going forward. We're going to talk a lot about Justin Williams as well. I think you have to mention Jonah Ajayi there in terms of the impact and what he can potentially do. Uh, he's the best defensive lineman Georgia has signed in this class. And, you know, I kind of like him maybe a little bit more than I did Jordan Hall when they landed him as a five-star prospect a season ago. Sometimes I have hunches. My hunches aren't often right, but I have them nonetheless. And on Wednesday of National Signing Day, one of the like the little hunches I was trying to kind of keep in the, I guess, the back recesses of my mind was involving running back Nate Frazier. I had no reason to believe that Frazier might not come to Georgia, but got way out in California, and a guy who I really think is a pretty important prospect in this class. That's one of those letters of intent that when it did come through, I had no justifiable reason to feel this way. I was just you know, kind of glad. Okay, no drama here as it relates to Frazier because I do think Frazier can be really good. And I, you know, just wonder if there might be someone, you know, trying to, you know, do sort of a late wrestling match to kind of pull Frazier away. Ultimately, that didn't happen. And that's a guy in this class that I'm really pretty excited about. To me, Connor, this is as, you know, exciting of a running back prospect as George is probably signing sometime. I just quickly Googled, uh, straight out of Compton lyrics uh, because Frazier is from Compton, California, sure. and, you know, thought I could rip something off pretty pretty neat and, and quick there, punny related. Uh, this song has way too many cuss words and yeah. words I can't say exactly. on air to pull that off. But, yeah, I, I think Frazier, he's a running back that Georgia hasn't had in quite some time in terms of talent, explosiveness, and I think what he brings to the table. Uh, he's a guy that his game, I think, is maybe a little similar to DeAndre Swift, maybe a little bigger and a little bit more durable, more capable uh, of handling a larger load. But Georgia has traditionally, and I say traditionally, I, I mean like the last four or five recruiting cycles, signed sort of these bigger running backs, these guys that can be every down, uh, you know, your Dajan Edwards size, your Kendall Milton size, and obviously those are, you know, two different size running backs, but they sort of fit the same similar mold there. I think Fraser brings a speed element along with a power element that we haven't really seen since DeAndre Swift landed at Georgia. Now, you could point out Zamir White there as well, but he was not, I think, the same player post-ACL injury. And so, you know, he's a little bit more physical than, say, James Cook was. And ultimately, you know, James Cook became a great player at Georgia and is now crushing it for the Buffalo Bills. But I think Fraser brings a home run hitting ability that Georgia sorely needs. And so... I do think it's important to mention here that I mean, potentially by the time uh, you know you guys are listening to this, maybe Georgia has landed Trevor Etienne, the running back out of Florida, uh, a guy that has been heavily linked with Georgia. But even though Frazier is not enrolling early at Georgia, it would not surprise me in the slightest for him to come in and play a big role early for Georgia. And when I say big role, you know, maybe be a change of pace running back for Georgia and find a way to get on the field, even though he won't arrive at Georgia this summer, simply because of the dynamic that he brings to this roster and to this position. You know, again, Georgia signed three running backs in this class. Frazier's the highest rated of the three. And similarly, and, you know, it's ironic enough, we're recording this before the K.J. Bolden announcement has been made. Right. Frazier's announcement, commitment to Georgia came, I think, within the same 24-hour window as when Bolden originally committed to uh, Florida State there. And it's sort of similar to Jonah Ajayi. Because Georgia picked up Frazier's commitment over the summer, you know, we're not as excited about this potentially as maybe we should be given you know when this rolls around in december uh, last thing for you on this show obviously we're going to bring you back tomorrow and talk to you about a couple of other things one of the things we've kind of sat out a little bit of is the sort of reconsideration of ryan puglisi that's taking place in the aftermath of dylan riola choosing nebraska and that's not because we don't believe it or don't like 
Puglisi as a player. It's just one of those things. It sort of feels like I'm a little late to that party. I, I did not spend most of the last year talking about Ryan Puglisi. But, Connor, there's no doubt there are some people who did. You know, national recruiting analysts even going back to the fall were pretty complimentary of Puglisi. For the most part, yeah, I'm a little bit of a, I guess, a geographic homer. And I pay attention to, you know, prospects in Georgia, pay attention to prospects in the Deep South, probably pay attention to prospects who are more highly rated. But Puglisi was a four-star he was at the elite 11 this is a you know in most years for most teams be a pretty you know significant prospect here how good do you truly think Ryan Puglisi is in terms of instead of being the other quarterback in the two quarterback class now kind of the quarterback for Georgia in this class how good do you think Ryan Puglisi is yeah this is a I think a good week for us that have had you know long-term thoughts about Puglisi and what he brings I know there are going to be a lot of people that point to the fact that he played you know Connecticut private school football and, and you know, there are worries about the competition level, but Puglisi's not coming in and starting right away for Georgia. And I think the fact that he's going to get to come in, play as that scout team quarterback role against Georgia's, you know, very talented defense that is going to be chock full of NFL-level defenders, that's going to help him tremendously. He does have a very live arm. He is a very capable athlete with the way that he moves in the pocket. Not dissimilar, in my opinion, to Carson Beck in terms of what he brings from an athleticism and from a tool standpoint. I do think from a raw power standpoint, he probably has a better arm than Carson Beck does. Is he quite as accurate as Beck in terms of ball placement? Not yet, but again, he's got time, I think, to develop some of that and continue to grow as an anticipatory thrower. And, you know, I think the most important thing here to remember with Puglisi, and it was probably going to be the same case with Dylan Raiola as well, neither of them were going to play next year for Georgia. That was not the expectation, and if that's a big reason that Raiola ends up going elsewhere, that's okay. Puglisi knew what his plan was when he committed to Georgia back in October of 2022. Saw Todd Munkin leave and Mike Bobo step in. Saw Dylan Raiola come in and then ultimately leave as well there. And he's remained sort of faithful to his plan and put trust into what Georgia is going to continue to do and how it is going to continue to develop. And I don't expect us to have very many Ryan Puglisi conversations in the next year after this. But I absolutely believe he's got the tools and the talent to be an impact player and ultimately one day a starting quarterback at Georgia. You know, we've talked about this at various times this week. There are going to be different things, you know, and it's hard to look multiple years out when it comes to what the quarterback position looks like or what the roster looks like at this point. But I think Puglisi more than, is more than a capable athlete and someone that is absolutely going to it make some sort of impact at the University of Georgia. All right, Connor, we're going to bring you back tomorrow. I want to talk to you more about the Orange Bowl. I'm actually starting to get a little bit excited about this game, so we'll talk to you more about that then. And thanks for uh, being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia today. No problem. As always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Fun stuff from Connor Riley. We'll look forward to doing more of that with him tomorrow, kind of getting into the you know preview of the Orange Bowl. And by the time you hear tomorrow's show, I'll pretty much be almost in Miami by tomorrow afternoon. We expect to be there. We may even do something live on video Wednesday afternoon to sort of set the stage for you know Dog Nation Daily being uh, live on Thursday and Friday leading into game coming up on Saturday. All of that's going to be a lot of fun. For now, though, cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And speaking of Miami, that's also the home port for Icon of the Seas, the debut coming up of the largest cruise ship ever constructed. And as we get ready to kind of move past bowl season, it's a reminder for me that I am only a few short days away from actually getting a chance to be on Icon of the Seas and have that experience. And 
while I'm proud of that for myself, I'm not trying to brag. I'm not trying to rub it in. I'm trying to remind you that you yourself also have a chance to be a part of that, too, if you would like. Our friend Jessica Slater, a great travel agent, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. She can tell you all about uh, what Icon of the Sea is going to be like, or if you're more interested in sailing out of Port Canaveral, how about the debut of Utopia of the Seas in July? Fun things from Royal Caribbean taking place in the new year. And Jessica can tell you all about it. Give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her at jslater at dreamvacations.com. And also don't forget this, speaking of new things in 2024, when the calendar turns to 2024, at that point in time, we are very, very close and very, very near the Dog Nation cruise coming up in April 2024. You sort of blink your eyes and you're there and that's taking place. And so, man, it's time to start thinking about and getting excited about all of that, too. That is right there on the horizon there as well. How much fun is that going to be? All right. For now, though, let's go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And let's start to preview some of these early bowl games. I'm going to take you kind of through the first of the New Year's Six games for Georgia, starting with the first SEC team to be in action. That's tomorrow. It's the Texas Bowl between Texas A&M and Oklahoma State. And this is, to me, one of those sort of classic, you know, what you sort of have in 2023 type bowl games where you really have no idea what to expect from either side here on this. Obviously, for A&M, we're kind of in the last vestiges of the old era before the Mike Elko era begins. Oklahoma State, sort of a weird team to handicap week to week anyway. If you care about gambling on this, you know, Mike Gundy's team's typically pretty good against the spread, but also it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes teams like AM, who have some talent, but obviously kind of suffered through the Jimbo Fisher era, sometimes even with like, you know, lesser talent on the field, and clearly they've had a million opt-outs, sometimes they kind of find sort of a fresh uh perspective or kind of a you know refreshed motivation here you know I, I would not completely count Texas A&M out on this even through all, all the uh the opt-outs they've sort of had it's one of those games where I think you know no one can really look at metrics or numbers and like that to sort of preview a game like this it's sort of all about uh you know the uh perceived level of motivation but I still have a sneaking suspicion that A&M might be uh a little bit of an interesting side on this assuming they can find 22 guys then go out there and play then moving ahead to friday on the 29th that's uh the gator bowl as clemson takes on kentucky and once again it's also sort of like the last moment before a brand new era for kentucky a team that's been pretty aggressive in the transfer portal the the brock vandergriff era beginning next year there in lexington but a kentucky team that can be pretty tough to beat obviously getting a chance to play clemson and like one of the things i think you see from you know clemson in a situation like this is while they are not the team they once were, pretty clearly, they're not the program they once were, I think because they have won national championships in the Dabo era, because they have been somewhat of a fixture in the college football playoff, I think that you are looking at a team that sort of still counts as a pretty big win. And we all know what Mark Stoops sort of been through there at Kentucky. It's been kind of a fight to, to prove that you belong, not compared to the rest of the SEC coaches, but compared to the other coaches on this campus. We know there's been a little bit of a feud between Mark Stoops and John Calipari. It seems like everyone there is sort of feuding with Mitch Barnhart, the athletic director. I don't believe that Kentucky has been the happiest place to work the last couple of years. So if you're Mark Stoops, you're trying to earn the trust of your boosters. You're trying to get them. He even said this openly, trying to get them to give a little more in the way of some NIL stuff and some things like that. So yeah, and otherwise, when you kind of think of it as sort of a meaningless bowl game, a Kentucky win against Clemson, I think would give Mark Stoops something to sell to his boosters, to his fans. I think there would be some value 
there in that. It would not surprise me at all to see Kentucky come out and try to play well in light of all that. Now, the flip side of that is Dabo's when he has probably some motivation, too. He likes beating SEC teams. So this is one of those games there in Jacksonville, the Gator Bowl, that might, you know, kind of weirdly and interestingly be perhaps a little bit more fun than you uh, maybe might think. So keep your eye there on that. Uh, also, the same day that Georgia plays on the 30th, you get the Music City Bowl there in Nashville between Maryland and Auburn. We know that Talia Tungo-Vailoa, the Maryland quarterback, has opted out here. But on the Auburn side of things, what a weird year for them from the standpoint they were obviously, for the most part, really bad this year. I actually expected Auburn to turn out to be better than they actually were. Um, you know, they got embarrassed by New Mexico State, and then they almost won the Iron Bowl. And you're watching that game for the majority of the game, and you're wondering, well, is this the result that's going to make Auburn fans forget about everything that's happened prior to this? And then when the sort of miracle fourth down play happened and Auburn had the bad defensive look there, which really enabled Alabama to make the Jalen Milrow throw to Isaiah Bond, an Isaiah Bond catch that actually really was a catch, as opposed to what we would see happen the following week. You know, when when all of that happens, all of a sudden now Auburn fans who really had no anticipation of even being close against Alabama, now they're more mad about this result than they otherwise would have been. And so there's pretty clearly, I think, a pretty bad taste in the mouths of Auburn as they get ready to play a bowl game. And I'm not saying beating Maryland makes you feel better about losing to Alabama. Clearly it doesn't, but it's at least something. And Hugh Freeze is a little bit like where Billy Napier was this time a year ago. Freeze, for the most part right now, does not really have much to show for his first year on campus. Now, I do believe that Freeze is likely to be a pretty good coach eventually, but you got to give your people something. And the Maryland, the Maryland Bowl game is not an example of that, but it could be a chance to at least drop a hint. They plan on being a much more competent football team in 2024 than they were for most of 2023. And I'll also mention here real quick, a game that I do think could be really fun and a team that I'm guessing we talk about a pretty good bit over the course of the uh, next couple of months. That's Missouri. On 12-29, you got the Cotton Bowl taking place between Ohio State and Missouri. Ohio State right now, I'm not really quite so sure what they bring into this game. It seems like they're in a little bit of a weird spot here right now, although it uh, looks like they do have you know receivers looking to play, things like that. I believe Marvin Harrison Jr. is Marvin Harrison Jr. is planning on playing this game. But the vibe around Ohio State for me right now is a little bit weird with the Kyle McCord departure, no obvious heir apparent quarterback weighing the wings. Maybe Devin Brown turns out to be that guy. But it's the Missouri side on this that I find to be more interesting. This is a Missouri team this year that really earned some respect, finishing the top 10, you know, having, what, the 10-2 season. This was, this was a good year for Missouri. And we've given a lot of attention as of late to Ole Miss for what they have done to kind of put themselves in a position to contend for the 12-team playoff next year. I would say that Missouri's uh, in a little bit of a similar boat here right now, too. And Eli Drinkwitz, for all the stuff that sometimes said about him, he gets kind of made fun of for being a little bit of a, you know, I don't know, people say he looks sort of nerdy or something like that. Well, listen, he's actually being a pretty good architect of this Missouri program here right now. And you better believe they in the kind of Midwest area where Missouri resides, they could sell the heck out of a win against uh, Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. That's a pretty fun game to keep your eye on, the first of those New Year's Six Bowls. And for now, we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Of course, speaking of the New Year's Six Bowls, obviously we know we've got the, the, the Peach Bowl coming up here in just a few days. And that kind of reminds you that holiday travel into the Atlanta area is still one of the fun things that's going on. So if you're coming in for the Peach Bowl, for whatever your reasons might be for doing that, or if you just want to have New Year's Eve in Atlanta, for instance, just have some fun around town here. Don't forget our friends in the Dunwood area. That's right here where we broadcast from each and every day. Nestled between two MARTA stations, uh, a chance to get easy access from the airport or to downtown, Midtown, Buckhead, something like that, or take advantage of the great 
kind of comfortable, friendly neighborhood that's right here in this Dunwoody area. A couple thousand hotel rooms, uh, a couple hundred restaurants, about 300 different places to shop. What a great experience and a great way for you to make the most of a weekend here in the Atlanta area. Check out discoverdunwoody.com slash dognation for more on that. That's discoverdunwoody.com slash dognation for more on that today. So no golden shoe for us today, just because of the pre-recorded nature of this show, but we'll look forward to doing those with you again here very soon. And we will remind you of this, that tomorrow pre-recorded again, but then by Wednesday afternoon, we're live in Miami, ear to the ground, sights and sounds of everything happening there in sunny South Florida as Georgia gets ready for the Orange Bowl against some version of Florida State. We're obviously really, really eager to bring you great coverage of all of that. And then back here uh, again, live in normal format in the studio the following week, obviously with a lot of energy about the upcoming 2024 year and how fun that can be for Georgia. Can't wait to talk to you about all of that. And as that new year happens, we'll watch it climb each and every day. Our Gator Hater Updater, reminding you how long it's been since those lousy, stinking Gators have beaten the Georgia Bulldogs. How about today? 1144 days. That's good news. It's a great Christmas wish for many of us. It's a great way to close it out. Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG.